to the Uproom Frisco podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit uproomfrisco.com. Happy National Chocolate Pudding Day, everybody. It's true, look it up. It's also National Rat Catcher's Day and Dietitian's Day. So, or Beautician's Day. Big, big difference there. Um, yeah, Jeremy's not feeling well. He called me yesterday and said, hey, can you, uh, can you cover for me? I said, yeah, do you want me to do something heretical or something controversial? <laughs> so I'm going to talk about the end times. And, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. That's next week. <laughs> now, what I, what I do, going with the theme of National Chocolate Pudding Day, I'm going to talk about goodness. Uh, a, a little bit of background from, uh, of me, I have known Jeremy since I was six, um, and uh, we grew up in Michigan together. I went to Bible college at Cornerstone University. Uh, I was studying ancient languages there, so I know enough to be really dangerous with the scriptures. Um, I also spent about a year at IHOP in Kansas City. Uh, I was not an internet, inter, what do they call them? intercessory missionary. I wasn't one of those. I worked in the bookstore and just got obsessed with, with the Bible. Um, and this was the Bible that I got obsessed with there. Uh, this is, I think, do you ever have those things that are just really important to you? Like the one thing that if your house was burning, you'd be like, that's the thing I'm going to go grab? This. Uh, I love I love the scriptures um, I've, I've put a lot into this Bible specifically. I have a lot of notes that if I lost this Bible, I would be devastated. <laughs> or I wouldn't know the Lord, maybe. <laughs> um, depending on your view of that. Um, I, I was also a pastor at Morningstar University. Uh, I helped Jeremy start Encounter Jesus School uh, here in Dallas. I've taught on the prophetic here. I've taught... The kids over there, the kids over there, and the kids over there. <laughs> so uh, that's a you're you're not too good to to work in the kids ministry. You're, if you're if you're too good to work in the kids ministry, then you might have your priorities a little off because they're the future. They're going to lead the church after we are gone. They're way more important than we think. I'm also the chaplain at uh, Upper Room uh, Academy. Um, so I get to hang out with uh, my kids <laughs> that go there uh, in the mornings and uh, teach them about the Lord. So if that doesn't prove that I'm worth listening to, I've also been in the same room as Jesus physically, but so was Judas. So that's... that's... <laughs> All right. Uh, my wife, Shay, right here on the front row, um, is uh, working on a book, and the last time I talked, I'm actually going to talk about the goodness of the Lord uh, and how he is goodness. Um, she's actually working on a book uh, about uh, Psalm 23. She's been working on it for a long time. Before we got married, uh, we actually uh, did a lot of co-teaching when we lived in Michigan, um, or just after I was living in Michigan, she came up and was teaching on, on goodness, so I'm actually stealing some of the stuff from her notes that I found in my email because she's that brilliant. <laughs> and I want to start off with a quote from, from the book that she's working on. Uh, when we trust God's heart, we don't need to question his motives. Yeah, I can't drop this mic, but, you know. 
knowing his heart is so important. Knowing, and when you, when you actually know that his heart is towards you, that his goal is your good, it's easy to, to trust in when things don't look right, when they look contrary to, to how you know him. Uh, so we have this awesome pool structure, what do they call it, aquatic center by our house, <clears throat> uh, and we go to it uh, incessantly because it's summer. Um, and my son, Micah, who's on the front row, and I have had some good deliverance moments in the pool. Um, recently, this week, uh, we were playing around uh, our second oldest, Noah, who is not in the room right now. He's over with the kids. He, uh, he loves to just come over to me, and he'll push me and be like, just basically like, are you going to try to drown me or not? Like, <laughs> like, let's do this. And I'll throw him. I'll hold him under. He'll come up and he'll be, ha, 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 do it again. Micah, on the other hand, thinks that I'm actually going to kill him. Uh, <laughs> and I told him, uh, this was actually just yesterday, if you think I'm going to drown you, then you don't know me. I would never do that. And he said, I do know you. I said, then trust me. And I said, if you don't, and I, as this is coming out of my mouth in the pool, I'm going, I'm going to fall on the spirit and get baptized again by myself. If you don't give me the chance to prove you wrong, you will never have the kind of fun you want that you see Noah having. Sometimes, when, sometimes you have to embrace that hard situation where God doesn't look good or where his character looks suspect. You have to embrace who, he, who you know him to be until your heart agrees with it. Sometimes you have to give, give him the chance to actually prove you wrong or prove you right that he's not good if you actually believe that in order for him to break down that barrier and deliver you of that demonic mindset that he isn't good in all cases, in all things, for all time, no matter what. Another brilliant thing that happened between me and Micah, just so that you know that he's not just like the black sheep that get, doesn't get things right. Um, we were uh, going to bed one night. <clears throat> He's on the top bunk. And I said, hey, Micah, buddy, I, I think that uh, the Lord's going to speak to you. Holy Spirit's going to speak to you tonight. He said, really? I said, yeah. So I, I you know, high five. We do, this is our high five at night. You ready? Show him. Boom, boom, boom. Do that. Good night. Boom. I think he's going to tell me about it in the morning. So I'm getting ready for bed, and I turn around. Oh, my God. <laughs> the Holy Spirit spoke to me already. I was like, geez, that was quick. <laughs> and he said, Holy Spirit said that sometimes when I think you're being mean, you're actually saving me from something bad. Okay. I, I, said, I said, well, Holy Spirit sounds pretty smart right now. <laughs> and then he said, then he said, uh, Holy Spirit also said that you probably don't want to hug me. Good night. I said, well, I think you heard wrong that time. But <laughs> one out of two is pretty good. <laughs> our view of God frames our entire world. Yeah. Your entire world. If you think that when, when Adam was, when God breathed into Adam and his first opens his eyes and he, and he sees God, the, the first human, first view of God, face to face, if you think that God is angry, his, he's got a mad face, you've got, like, he's already disappointed. If that's what you think he, he saw, you're completely wrong. 
If you think at any point in history that God's face was disappointed and angry at a person, you have him wrong. Second Samuel 22, uh, which is also quoted again as Psalm 18, says, To the faithful you show yourself faithful, to the blameless you show yourself blameless, to the pure you show yourself pure. In other words, just like Titus said in, in uh, Titus 1, uh, 15 and 16, to the pure all things are pure. However you see God, however you see the world, that's how you're going to see him. How you view him, that's how it's going, everything's going to be perceived. So this is what happened. In the pool, uh, I had Micah, I, I said, okay, let's see how long you can hold your breath. Completely, like he's, he's not thinking I've got him in a setup. Of course I have him in a setup. That's what I do. I'm a dad. So he holds his, his head underwater. How long did you last? 19 seconds? 19 seconds. I was like, nice job. Now come here. No. why not come here? He starts swimming off. I'm like, you got to trust me. I said, I will only hold you under for five seconds, but you've got to trust me that I do not want to murder you. He says, okay, okay. And he let me, and I held him down for eight seconds. <laughs> and, I, and he came up, and he was fine. But his, his view of me was that I actually want to murder him in the water in front of everybody, including his mother. Now, if you know me, then you know I probably would. No. Um, if you know me, you know that I don't, I'm not like that. But his view of me was, was skewed. And I, I needed to, to force him into a moment where he could see that I was not the monster that his brain was making him out, me out to be. Uh, Titus 1, 15 through 16 um, 16 is, is really uh, something I, I want to harp on. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but their deeds deny him. Being detestable, blah, 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 blah. Know God. To the pure, all things are pure, but for those who don't know him, it's not pure. Actually, it actually frames our view of the entire world. The first time we see the word good used in the scripture is the word tov in uh, Genesis 1. God's creating. The creator is doing what the creators do. They, he's creating. Out of his nature, he's creating, making everything. And he says, that is good. That is good. That is good. And then he sees everything. He says, this is really good. In other words, everything that exists has come from his nature as good, including humanity. We are good. We'll get to that later. In the New Testament, um, the, the word for goodness is uh, agathos. Um, there's other ways of saying that, um, but it basically means having the welfare of someone else as your main goal. When somebody has goodness in them or they are goodness, love, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. So the fruit of the Spirit, the, the manifestation of the presence of God, who is the Spirit, is 
goodness, having the, benef- the, the beneficence, that's a cool word, huh? Um, th- having the welfare of others as your goal. Uh, turn in your iPhones or your analog Bibles to Ephesians 5.9. Uh, Start in seven. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, uh, for you were formerly darkness, but you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. So this, there's the the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of light, and we see in James one one seventeen that it says that. Everything good comes from the Father of lights. He's the one that, and the very first thing that we see that he calls good is the separation of light and darkness. We used to be darkness, now we're light. We are actually children of light now. Our nature is that. So this word for good in the New, in the New Testament, agathos, is, means like wonder-evoking, admirable, of a higher quality, useful or even powerful it means like it's it's high quality it's the it's like there's a difference between like eating a mcdonald's cheeseburger and eating a whataburger like that is that is food ish this is good or put in whatever food you care about it's almost lunchtime i'm hungry um luke ate uses this root word to describe the fertile ground. You know, the the parable of the seeds. God, as goodness, he who, who he is, his essence creates earth that can fulfill the growth process. And that's a parable about our interior life, that we are good. We have the potential to be, to be good fertile ground. Jesus praises Mary in Luke 10, for choosing the good part, which is putting herself right <clears throat> in, in the way of the life giver, the one who, who is the source of goodness. Paul, in Philippians 1.6, equates good with divine involvement, meaning that when, where there is goodness, there is God, always. Which means that he's present wherever there's anything good that happens. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. That means that everything that is good, every gift, anything that you like that is, that is positive, that creates fruit in your life, comes from him. It has to. It cannot come from any other source. Matthew 25, the, the king in that situation calls the, the slave good and faithful, as praised and rewarded, rewarded and then retired He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Now enter into my rest. You're done. You did great. Good job. You took my nature. You manifested it. Take a seat. We're good. You're not a slave anymore. Now what's the first thing that God says is not good? That man would be alone. Isolation. You know why? Because a man without a wife cannot produce anything. Now, if you're single or celibate, 
I'm not dogging on you. You'll produce things in your life. But you get the point. All right, let's, let's look at uh, Exodus 33. I'm going to actually turn to this one. 33, verse 17. I'll get there eventually. You guys tracking with me? Yeah. Good. I think you are. So Moses says, he's, he's uh, you know, talking to the Lord face to face like you do. The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing if you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. This is the wrong chapter. Praise God. Okay, so anyways, it's the, it's the thing where he's, where he's talking to him, and he says, show me your glory, God. Show me your glory. And what does he do? He says, no, no, no. I'll show you my goodness. And then what does he show him? Himself. Show me your glory, God. Come with the glory, God. I'll show you my goodness. That's my glory. My goodness. All right, all right. What what does that look like? Me. Here's another quote from my wife's book. Uh, My goodness didn't manifest as a string of fortunate circumstances. It was himself. We can look at like God being good to me, God putting favor on me, and, and say, oh, God is good because do-do-do-do-do-do-do happened to me in the last week, the last month, the last year, the last decade. Favor, God's goodness, is not a string of fortunate circumstances. Goodness is him. So this book that Shay is working on is uh, Psalm 23, and I want to kind of dissect Psalm 23 real quick with you guys because it is so good. Psalm 23, 6 says, surely, and this is at the very end of uh, Psalm 23, says, surely goodness and mercy will follow you, follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you know what that word follow means? It means to stalk. It means that when, when he says, surely my goodness is going to follow you, it's I, myself, my nature is going to track you down in every circumstance for all of your life. Read the whole thing. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why does he have to make that point? Because he was in want. He makes me lie down, makes me lie down in green pastures. Have you ever been a sheep that needed to be forced to lay down? He leads me beside waters of peace. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. This is what I'm talking about. If you, if you realize his goodness, you can walk through anything because you know his nature and you know that goodness himself is gonna stalk you the whole way through the valley. The, the, the context of his goodness tracking us down is not good circumstances. It's actually crappy circumstances. Romans 8. This is where Paul talks about the present sufferings. 
Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy of being compared to the glory. Show me your glory. Show me your goodness. Show me yourself compared to the goodness that is to be revealed to us. If you're going through hell, just keep going. We can allow external input to inform us on the nature of God, or we can trust that he is the source and the standard of what is goodness. Do I need to say that again? I don't think I got enough amens. We can allow external input, like our circumstances, like the reports of other people's lives, or even the interpretations and assumptions of scripture that people have put to, given to us, to inform us of what God's nature is like, or we can trust that the he, Jesus himself, God revealed as a man is the source and the standard by which we, we can define goodness. That's more like it. Thank you. Like I, like I said, I'm, I'm a chapel, chaplain at uh, Upper Room Academy. It was Upper Room uh, Power Kids. Um, this last year, and they asked me to do these Q&A times. So these, the kids, second through fourth graders, give these questions, <laughs> and they were incredible questions. And, and in them, you could tell that they were like, eh, I don't, I've been taught something weird. <laughs> now, these are kids that grew up in, in church, you know. How come when Uzzah touched God's favorite box that he killed him, And now it's time for theology time with Pastor Vance. That was a fun one. If God is a shepherd, how come the only way to make him happy was to kill animals? Sometimes our interpretation or assumptions of what the scriptures are saying will inform us more about God's nature than it should. Because the scriptures point to Jesus. And anything that doesn't point correctly to Jesus needs to be interpreted according to Jesus. He is goodness. He is the one who walked past Moses. Not a book. Not this my favorite book. Jesus walked past him. And the rest of the scriptures Jesus said at the end of Luke is what they all point to Jesus. If it doesn't point to Jesus and him on the cross and the beauty of that moment, then we are understanding it wrong. Paul even said, go to Galatians uh, 1. Paul said, if I, whew. Galatians 1, we'll start in verse 8. We're going to go to 12. <clears throat> But even if we, that's Paul and his, his folks that are helping to disciple the Galatians. If we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Accursed. That's a strong word. That, that's like borderline cussing in, in Greek, just so you know. I won't say what it what it would be. 
As we have said before, so I say now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. It's like he's got like, he forgot that he just wrote that sentence earlier. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God, or am I striving to please men? In other words, he's saying like, I don't care what people are going to say. You can't, you can't preach something other than what I have preached to you. Now look at verse 12. For I neither received it, this, this gospel, from man, nor was it taught to me, but I received it through a revelation directly from Jesus Christ. And if you look in the book of Acts, he lays out exactly what happened. Paul met Jesus for real and then was discipled by Jesus in the desert for real. He knew Jesus. So when he talks about the gospel, he's not talking about something that he figured out. He was really smart. He didn't figure it out. It figured him out. It came to him. It twisted him back into alignment and said, this is who God is. Me. Not what you have grown up and become an expert in. Me. It was not taught. It was experienced. He met the gospel. Romans 8 continues and he says, uh, he works everything for the good of those who love him and are called according to his, his purposes. Contra contradictory circumstances are actually invitations to engage with God and his goodness in order to see his glory. You don't get those when heaven comes, comes to earth. You get those now and now only. You get crap now and glory then. Or you get a little bit of... Maybe you get a lot of crap now and a little glory now and then some glory then. This is a unique scenario we're in where we're on earth, Jesus is in heaven, we're waiting for his return, and if you embrace the moments and know his character and live from that truth, not from what you see, you will see glory. Look in the, look in the garden. Genesis 3.22 and through 24, we see that Adam and Eve eat the fruit. They fall. All of a sudden, they're infected with death. They can't do anything about that. God kicks them out because he's angry at them for touching the fruit they said, right? No. He was not angry. He was protecting them. It says that so that they would not eat of the tree of life and live forever in their fallen state where they would be tortured forever in their bodies. He was trying to keep them from being tortured eternally from the very beginning. That's why he kicked them out of the garden, to protect them. But if we look at that and go, man, that's an angry God. You eat a little bit of fruit, you overeat a little bit, and he kicks you out of the garden, and you got to go do some work outside. That's not his character. He was protecting them from eternal conscious torment. And he protected us from it. Peter, on the, on the, the sea, in Mark uh, 14, he, start, he starts thinking, he starts looking at his circumstances, and he forgets what? God's goodness, right there in front of him. Takes his eyes off of, off of Jesus, off of goodness himself. He starts to sink. Another uh, moment, we're in a boat. Jesus does a lot of good work on, in, the, in boats, doesn't he? On water. <laughs> The disciples are in the boat. Jesus is snoozing in, in, the, in the bottom. He's fine. It, look, I mean, if you want to know what, how to respond to a situation, just look at what Jesus is doing. 
Jesus was taking a nap. He was fine. Jesus! Don't you care? We're gonna die! Oh, my, my youth group. Stop. Have you no faith? And you know what happened? You know what that boat, what that storm was doing? It was getting them to the other side quicker. You know what they had to do once the, tor- the storm stopped? I wonder if Jesus got in, got in there and, and <laughs> did some rowing himself, or it was just like, you want to stop? Shores that way. That's what I do, but, you know, I'm still working on my level of goodness. We got to get comfortable with the phrase, I don't know, but I know he's good. Let's say Roe v. Wade didn't get overturned this last week. God, why? I don't know, but I know he's good. What if recession gets even worse? What if things get worse than the, the, the Great Depression? Is God still good? Yep, real good. Real good. Source of good. Definition of good. God is, ne- this is another Shaism from her book. God is never partially anything. He's either it or he is not it. And he is good. Jeremiah 33, 11 says, God is good. And here's the really good news for you. Put 2 Peter 1, 4 up there. What is God? What is his nature? For by these... He has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you, we, may become what? Partakers of the divine nature. What's the nature of God? You just told me. What are you? Oh, it's harder to say, isn't it? (laughs) But why? Having escaped the corruption that is in the world. Did you know that you have actually been delivered out of death? Did you know that Jesus did not partially save you? He saved you. He is good. You have been transformed. Paul says in um, 1 Corinthians six seventeen that we who are joined to God are one spirit with him, which means that just like Peter said, so you got two witnesses, two different Apostles saying the same thing, that we have the nature of God inside of us, which means you're good. If anybody, a preacher, a book, a demon, tells you that you are not good, that you have some bad nature inside of you, tell them that two apostles say that he's wrong. Romans 15, 14 says, I am convinced that you are full of goodness. I particularly like that because it's got my name in the word. (laughs) I'm going to end with this. This is the Vince Standard version of uh, Ephesians 5, 8 through 9. You were darkness, 
But now, you are light's kids. You'll know you're walking in it, and you're walking it out because goodness, righteousness, and truth will flow out of you naturally. God is good, and so are you. As Joe Newton would say, deal with it. (laughs) It's the truth. God is good. You cannot escape this truth. You can deny it, and your life will be worse. Or you can believe me, which I've taken 30 minutes to prove it right, and you can let it sink into your heart and and dig out those areas of, of your heart that have a hard time believing it and start to let it change you. Repentance is a changing of the mind. It's a shifting. It's a, it's a, the word faith means, so the word faith in, in Greek is pistis. It means, it, it comes from the root word uh, pithos, which is the word we get python from. A python, when it wraps itself around its prey, it squeezes and holds onto it until it gets the life out of it so that it can benefit from it. What you wrap yourself around is what you have faith in. You can, and you can, you can wrap your life around this book and you can get a little bit of life in it because there's, there's like, like Elisha's bones, there's still life on it just by, by touching it. But if you really want to wrap your life around something, find goodness himself and wrap yourself around it. Because he is the one who saves. Not a religious system, not a church, not a set of beliefs, a person. He is good. He always has your good in mind His every thought, his every intention, his every action is pointed towards you and your welfare. Even when you think he's trying to drown you in the pool. Jesus, we love you. Thank you so much for um, revealing yourself. Thank you for manifesting in bodily form, delivering us from death, changing our nature, and empowering us to transform this world. Help us do that better and better and better in Jesus' name. Amen.